You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Together in Literacy podcast. I'm here with my co-host Casey Harrison. Hi Casey. Hi Emily. Hi everyone. So we are here with uh, season two episode 15 and we are going to be diving into our topic briefly but first we love to hear from our listeners and this one is from Erica and Erica has written helpful tools for intervention. I love listening to the Together in Literacy Mm -hmm. podcast. As a reading intervention teacher working with students in grades three through five, I find a valuable nugget of information in each episode. This podcast validates the work I am doing with my students and provides helpful new ideas to try. Thank you, Emily and Casey, for all of the work you do to help educators and parents help their kids become better readers. Well, Erica, first of all, you are working in a sweet spot for me personally, (laughs) because I love kids in grades three through five. Love it, love it. (laughs) But that's just a personal note. And we are so, so grateful for your review and rating. And please, just a little message to everyone. If you are enjoying this podcast, first of all, please share because we love when you share episodes. Maybe it's one from season, maybe it's an episode from season one, maybe it's an episode from season two, but we enjoy, we enjoy and appreciate that. And of course, if we are speaking to your heart, please leave us a rating and a review. We would love to share it on a future episode. All right. So this is an episode that Casey and I really think is going to honor the heart of what we're trying to address here on the Together in Literacy podcast. So we've we've mentioned in our intro that we always are focusing on dyslexia awareness, science of reading, science of learning too, <laughs> and the whole child and really honoring all three as best as we possibly can. And so this episode may feel like a toe dip for some or a deeper dive for others into neurodiversity. Now, let's just stop for a minute and think about this word. Who has heard of that term, Mm -hmm. neurodiversity? That's a popular Mm -hmm. one now. Maybe you've just heard the word diversity in the past, but we're going to be discussing neurodiversity. And so, Casey was the one that sort of is the impetus of this episode. Thank you very much, Casey. (laughs) 
And he and I both agree. We do see this term come up in a lot of different places. We see it on social media, in newspapers, in magazine articles, blog posts, and lots of different conversations and different platforms. Mm -hmm. And so today we wanted to have just a discussion about what neurodiversity means to us and the um, current research that's out there, where dyslexia comes into this whole discussion of neurodiversity. Shifts in language surrounding neurodiversity and what this means for all of you, our educators, our parents, our caregivers, our students, right, and the world. Yes, this is really a global conversation. It's one that we should be, as a society, looking at it with, uh, we believe, a fresh lens, a fresh view and perspective. And so what we hope today in this episode to do is to get you to really maybe look at it with a fresh perspective. And we can make some recommendations for a couple of books and podcast episodes at the very end. Mm -hmm. Um, But that really is the goal with today's episode. Yes. And I love that we're bridging into this because neurodiversity is a term, as Emily said, that we may hear often being used or you may see in social media feeds. But if we're thinking about what that actually means, um, diagnoses that people have that recognizes neurotypical and neurodivergent thinkers in the world, because they are going to bring in different ways of problem solving, different ways of seeing things. And some of those strengths that Emily and I have talked about in regards to dyslexia that we often see in our students, it is not something that is acquired. Now you can have dyslexia that's acquired through an injury. However, if we're thinking about dyslexia and the definition, we are talking about this organization within our brain systems. And so it really is connecting to our understanding of dyslexia and why you'll often hear us refer to dyslexia as lifelong, those learning differences that fall under the neurodiversity umbrella. So if we're thinking about where dyslexia falls in neurodiversity, you may often see a neurodiverse umbrella pictured. And underneath that, you'll see different diagnoses that are, again, based in those atypical variants, such as ADHD, autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia. You may see others that are housed under that umbrella as well. And the different neurotypes may really operate in our world differently, but they are so needed. And we're going to talk more about that as we move through our conversation today. So the main points of the movement of neurodiversity is to be able to uncover the strengths of the neurodiverse individual. And Mm -hmm. we really want to stress here the word individual because everyone's journey is different in this way. That is the that is why the word diverse is in there, right? And we have differences in our journeys are going to vary from person to person. However, so the the movement is to not only uncover the strengths, mm-hmm. but also to utilize those talents so we can increase innovation and productivity of our society. 
Okay, so that we're, so once again, let's hit those main points, uncovering the strengths, right, of the individual. So finding out what those talents are and using those, finding them out and being able to use them, to harness them, to increase a movement of innovation and productivity. Now, sure, we can look at many people in our history who have neurodiversity and who have been the innovators and or the artists. It really, there's so many people we could be bringing up here. That isn't really the focus of this episode to highlight those people. The purpose of this episode is to really discuss what the movement is so that you can perhaps look at dyslexia maybe in a little bit of a different light, in a different perspective. So you're focusing on uh, not just the strengths or not just the weak weaknesses, really to, to look and see how we can, as a society, honor that there are many different types of thinkers out there. All right. So when we have looked at this movement and the model of what neurodiversity is, Casey and I are going to talk about two different models. Okay, the first model we're going to talk about is the social model of the disability. That means how you interact with the environment and how that can make you feel either more or less disabled. Neurodiversity operates under the social model. The social model takes a different approach. This model states that disability is the inability to participate fully in home and community life. And because of that, the interaction between some of the functional limitations or impairments or physical or social barriers to fully participate can create this disabling environment. The social model is distinguishing between disabilities and impairments. So we've got the disabilities or restrictions imposed by society. Impairments are the effects of any given condition. And the solution according to the social model lies not in fixing the person, but in fixing our society. Now, you may think about different communities of neurodivergent thinkers and think about how they would like to be perceived by other people in society, mm -hmm. how they would like their strengths to be seen, how they aren't may not necessarily be looking for this fix, this cure, but rather recognition and appreciation from society. Yeah. And I, this is why this model is so important in terms of raising awareness. And it's one of the big reasons why we have this podcast and why we're on different platforms trying to raise that awareness, because with awareness comes acceptance and understanding and the ability then to advocate for yourself and to understand yourself and to really 
just be on this journey. And I think that, you know, having that social model of disability, which is why you're going to see more, more of that in terms of, you know, for example, like LinkedIn now has dyslexic thinking as a hashtag that you can use as, and, and employers are looking for that. So this recognition of, of this different way of thinking is, is out there in the world. And it is important, as we said, it is needed. So it's really just talking about this shift. I think we're in a really interesting time right now in 2023 Mm -hmm. that we're just sort of entering into more of that social acceptance like the example that you just gave us was putting in that hashtag and that employers are recognizing and honoring that that there that people do have neurodivergent thinking i think that the social model really not only helps us to raise awareness but also takes more time mm-hmm. i think that it really underlines and underscores the fact that we have got to help our children in the school setting, not only in the academic side, but also with their metacognition. Mm -hmm. And because metacognition leads to better self-advocacy. Right. So I think that falls beautifully under the social model. I agree. And so, you know, looking at it through that lens, we can definitely see on the the other side of the coin that if we're looking at it solely through the medical model of a disability then we're focusing primarily and on something that is wrong quote unquote wrong with the person and the neurodiversity umbrella is really countering that it's it's looking at this understanding that we have differences in the way that we function in the world So the medical model instead then views a disability as a deficit within the individual. And so a disability then becomes compared to normal traits and characteristics. And it's under the thought that, you know, in order to have a high quality of life, that then those deficits must be cured or fixed or completely eliminated. And if we go back to understanding that neurodiversity and we understand that it is part of the person. It is how their brain is wired. It is who they are. You cannot pull that apart. So the medical model, really, if we're looking at it and we're talking specifically about dyslexia, that means that you're really only looking at dyslexia through the lens of reading and you're targeting solely those deficits. And while we know that in the academic setting, yes, those, we have to make sure that we are addressing those. I feel very strongly that we cannot only lie within focusing just on deficits. I think we really have to be mindful of honoring our neurodivergent learners so that we are focusing, yes, on the area of need, but we are also empowering and focusing on areas of strength. When we do that, we're able to ensure that our students that are 2E are being motivated and being having their needs addressed, that all of our learners are recognizing those areas of strength that they hold while we are also working on those areas of need. You know, I think sometimes in, in schools, and, and I understand because we're looking at the academic components, but we can be hyper-focused on the areas of deficit and 
looking at the cascading effects on the social emotional impacts, I am very concerned that that of of the long-term impact that that has on our students. And Casey and I aren't saying it's you're either in one camp or another with the social model versus the medical model. We agree and believe in both Mm -hmm. that because we're working with people many times who are in a school setting that both need to be interwoven. Um, Yes, children with dyslexia are going to need remediation, mm-hmm. but also we want to say it's it's never just about the dyslexia. We have to look at, once again, we, as we, are, we say a lot in our podcast, looking at the whole child, at the whole person right. here. They are more than just the dyslexia. And I think that in this current model that we're explaining to you, it really does highlight that in in a very important way. And so we, the set, the next part of this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a little more about strength base, but also some things that you want to be considering as perhaps a classroom teacher, or perhaps as an interventionist or as a caregiver. And then we are going to give you just some reflection questions, but we're going to go into some questions for you to be thinking about and reflecting on maybe in your own classrooms or in your school districts and then a few book recommendations and even some podcasts that Casey and I have heard of and would recommend and so with this current shift in the narrative so in sort of the storyline that we have surrounding the term neurodiversity we uh, want there to and and this and the narrative does as well. We are advocating for a shift in in helping develop self awareness mm-hmm. and identity of what it means to have dyslexia and what it means to be a neurodivergent thinker. Mm-hmm. So, surrounding that discussion of self awareness really speaks from the social emotional side of how we work with children. For instance, and I was discussing this with Casey earlier, if we were to begin working with a middle schooler who had had years of negative self-talk, then we would probably not jump right in with a cheerleading discussion about all of the strengths that you have right away. Because in the place that that person is at and honoring them, they need to be acknowledged Mm -hmm. and understood that, yes, I see where you're coming from. I understand that this has been really hard for you so far. And here's why. And I know that you you may be thinking this and this, but here's how we're going to try and, and work together. Okay. So honoring that there's a relationship first, Mm -hmm. meeting them where they're at, and then gradually shifting into some self-awareness, helping them understand how they learn best, helping them to learn how to communicate with an adult when something's not working out, when they're, you know, planning out a homework assignment, or if they need more time on tests, or if they're planning a project, anything like that. That 
is sort of like our little gradual release of responsibility with helping people with developing self-awareness. That takes time. Sure, we're going to have those great conversations to lift them up and encourage them and and cheer them along the way. It's just that that's a process that we have to sort of get to, not right away. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if we're thinking about right when we're working with students in that therapeutic setting for dyslexia or intervention setting, right, we can see those amazing talents, like they're out of the box thinking, their creativity, right, that maybe are overlooked in a deficit only mindset or perhaps in a traditional school setting. So, providing opportunities to highlight those. And I know we've spoken a lot about those when we talked um, in previous episodes about accommodations and about, you know, empowering students and, and using language. The other thing that I think is, is really important is that, you know, we want to make sure that when we're looking at, you know, those evaluations and, last episode, episode 14 with Katie Vassar, she did a great job explaining that we were looking, yes, at those areas of need, but we're also looking at areas of strength. And when we do so, we're really shifting that perception that we may have where, oh, the child needs, you know, A, B, and C, but we can recognize those areas of, of strength that they're bringing in. And, you know, sometimes we'll hear conversations about, you know, dyslexia being used as a gift or not a gift. And I think those are words that I really think, I think we just need to be mindful of and understand when making statements about that, because, you know, while I don't necessarily use the specific phrasing that dyslexia is a gift, because I want to honor that dyslexia is challenging. I do think that we should help students see themselves as more than their dyslexia. And Emily and I have spoken about this a lot and that, you know, we want to guide our students in identifying their talents because we all have them because we want to really try to preserve or build up our students' self-esteem and realize that, you know, every one of us brings something beautiful into this world. So we'll kind of dig more into that. But I think looking at looking at strengths and finding those with our students is really powerful because so often our students are surrounded by a sense of failure and they really can't see their own unique strengths. So if we can help them see their uniqueness, that is what is going to help us engage in that metacognitive area and lead us into that self-awareness and and self-advocacy skills. And just to piggyback on what Casey was saying, Casey, I so agree with you. And and we as educators can look carefully at strengths by looking at some of those in those testing reports. I was at an Orton-Gillingham conference recently, and one of the recommendations was to really make sure that we're spending time before you, we begin with a student looking at their student profile. And mm-hmm. you know, some people, you know, I know that the, some of these documents are secured and locked up and you may not have immediate access to them. We get that you know, in the public school setting, but taking the time really to look at a student profile is going to be so revealing. It's going to show you just so much more than what some of these testing reports are going to reveal. So by looking at their strengths and finding out you know, the areas that they're going to perform well in, that is really going to inform your future instruction. Yeah. And so 
it helps us. It helps kids. It's really, it's a two-way street for sure. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that I think is understanding and accepting who you are and what that means in terms of having dyslexia. And so, you know, if we are understanding that dyslexia falls under that neurodivergent umbrella, that means it is part of who you are, right? You can't separate it out. And that's going to lead me into the next topic, which may cause a knee-jerk reaction in some people. So there is conversation around, do we use identity neurodivergent first language or person first language? And if you are an educator and you went through schooling, you were taught um, most likely that you used person first language. So you would use a person with dyslexia versus a dyslexic learner. There is a shift in our neurodiverse communities in which it you will hear more often identity first language being used. So when you see references of dyslexic learners, or that is where that is coming from. And that's really coming from a a part of under that neurodiversity umbrella, you're going to see it's creating this sense of ownership. It's comes to the understanding that this is a brain function variance. Again, it's you, it is not something that can be pulled out. It is part of the person. And so therefore people who use identity first, they're wanting that to be honored, that it's really taking into account that that diagnosis is inherent, that it's part of their neurological wiring. And much like, you know, in the deaf community, they, they lead with that terminology. You will see uh, many people in the neurodivergent community using identity first language. So with that being said, I think for those who are not neurodivergent, then we we leave that to the person to let you know whether they would prefer to identity first or person first. So, right. and Casey really brought this up so beautifully. We acknowledge, we understand that many educators did have maybe some specific training and discussions, perhaps in their college level courses, perhaps in some professional development at some point on the use of identity first versus person first language. And we know that there has also been a shift and it really is going to depend on the individual and or the community. Mm-hmm. We in the, uh, in this community, uh, you know, discussing people who are you know, dyslexic learners, there has been a conversation for quite some time of acceptance mm-hmm. that if we're calling someone you know a dyslexic learner that they've many people have embraced that we do know that people have had specific training though in the past to use maybe different language mm-hmm. but we want to just say it it really depends but I do think and I can I can understand that there's this is a valuable conversation about a person taking ownership and wanting to be acknowledged and recognized for who they are that they are a person just like all of us with both strengths and things that they may find challenging right and, and different communities under the neurodivergent umbrella will embrace the 
identity first and, and not. So I think, right. you know, we also have to be mindful. You're going to see that in a clinical setting, right? Medical setting, there's, they're still going to use person first identity language mm-hmm. within different communities. You'll see the neurodivergent first or identity first language being used. And I think just having that awareness is important so that we don't have necessarily a knee-jerk reaction and, and telling people what they should and shouldn't be using in terms of language because it is a personal choice for those people on that fall under the neurodivergent umbrella. And I think if we aren't sure, let's ask. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. So this leads beautifully into our next part with discussing the ways that it may be even some, some cautionary words too, but how we can really nurture and support acceptance and self-advocacy under the umbrella term of neurodiversity. And so the first one that we wanted to bring up is just, I think, a word of caution. And I think we've kind of alluded to this earlier about mm-hmm. using the word superpower. Not everyone sees dyslexia as a superpower. Mm-hmm. There are wonderful stories of people who want to share how it was once challenging or or how they've used what has, has been a challenge to turn into a, a story of triumph, and that is to be celebrated and honored. Mm-hmm. But we want to recognize that, that we are dealing with individuals, that one person's journey is not the same as someone else's. And so to call dyslexia, I guess, all of it is a superpower. I think we just need to be really cautious with that term. Mm-hmm. I agree. Another thing kind of for us to look at is, you know, the, when we're talking about neurodivergent and and having this honoring and, and acceptance and understanding of what that means. And I think we want to be really realistic in this isn't all just positive, positive, positive pieces or, you know, rainbows and sunshine. We, we understand. And, and when we have conversations under neurodiversity, the it's identifying the reality of those areas that are very challenging and the areas of strength. I think it is finding a balance between those two so that we're really honoring the person's journey recognizing that there are challenges, right? And that there are also areas of strength that we can empower. So I think it isn't one way or the other. I think finding that balance is really important. And knowing that those things, both areas that are challenging and areas of strength are not going to always be the same throughout that person's entire life at one point what this may be a a challenge and then at some point it may not there may be new challenges that things are going to change and I think that really leads into the next point point number three here and that is really looking at once again we say this a lot looking at the whole child and knowing that you're working with the whole child okay so not just recognizing the whole but knowing how when we're working with the whole child we First of all, making sure that we're looking, of course, at their learning profile, having discussions with parents and caregivers about their child. I think those are so important, those Mm -hmm. conversations to have, 
before we begin and throughout the process of working with them. And knowing that it's not just the dyslexia here that's defining them, that there are so many other wonderful things about this person that make them who they are. And that what may work for one is not necessarily going to work for someone else. And that is the beauty of prescriptive and diagnostic intervention when we are working with those principles of Orton-Gillingham, we can really be looking more closely at the whole child. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think, you know, to kind of piggyback on that, when when I'm talking with parents, you know, I will address those specific areas that are unique to the to their child or to the individual. But I also explain under the umbrella of neurodivergent because I think that that the neurodiversity is important to address because it really helps to explain and almost normalize some of these experiences for parents, for the children, because we really do want to honor their journey, let them know that they are not alone. If you're a parent and you're on this journey, you're not alone. If you're a child and you're on this journey, you're not alone. And if you're an adult on this journey, you're not alone, right? There, there is certainly a community that is there to support you. So honoring each person's journey while also recognizing that there is a community of learners that are very similar to you. And just to piggyback on what we were just saying with the community that that Casey was bringing up, if you are a parent or a caregiver out there that really is seeking to find you know, a place where you can have these discussions, certainly reach out and ask and mm -hmm. we can make some recommendations. But one of the um, recommendations that we would make is looking up your local chapter of decoding dyslexia. Yeah. And that is really going to be, I think, one of your go-tos because at a local level, there, there are usually events. I know in Massachusetts here, there are where um, people are having these conversations and, and feeling and helping people to feel that sense of community. Mm -hmm. So important. Absolutely. I just also want to just kind of come back to remembering that, you know, we're not diminishing anyone's deficits or needs, but that we are really honoring the journey in and of itself and what that looks like for each, each uh, person. Right. So if, if we are, we wanted to kind of lead us into some questions to kind of maybe reflect upon or think about as we close up. And so I know some things that that I will continue to reflect on is just kind of how are we viewing dyslexia and the language that we are using to describe it? Casey, I think that's a really important question for people to have a discussion about. Yeah. There are books that will come out with a stance on dyslexia Mm -hmm. And the language surrounding it in the way that that author may describe it may have some variances compared to other books on dyslexia. And I will also add one book that may be written perhaps for classroom teachers in mind, mm -hmm. or maybe a book written on how to teach reading may have a description or the way or advice on how we should be viewing dyslexia and the language surrounding that. And it may look 
differently than what we have known from the research thus far about dyslexia. I think that we need to be very careful with how we see it written in a book, but mm -hmm. also reflect on how we, the language we use to describe it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And the next question we want people to think about is your own schools. How is the discussion surrounding dyslexia in your schools? First of all, is it happening? <laughs> <laughs> is there a discussion about dyslexia in your school? I'll tell you, back in 2003, 2004, when I was first reading Overcoming Dyslexia, yeah, it was mm -hmm. happening. It was happening. So, but it's been, you know, a, a little bit of a slow movement here and there over the years. We can all agree with that, right? But we want to know, is the discussion, ha discussion happening? And how is it happening? Is it just among your grade level? Is it at a school-wide district level? Is there training? Yeah. You know, has has someone been brought in maybe to have a discussion about dyslexia, to clear up some of the myths, maybe even do a little simulation? Who knows? what? Uh, how has that discussion happened in your schools? Um, I think that's something, because if it hasn't already, then it, of course we're going to say it should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I hear a lot from people across the United States, at least, and, and even in Canada, I've heard people as well saying that they're told, you know, by their schools that they can't use dyslexia or what they call the D word. And I, I, I just really encourage you to listen back to episode, oh gosh, I think it was episode 16 in season one with um, Sabrina Axt, who is a special education lawyer and advocate, because we really dug into the legal aspects of dyslexia and what that actually means across the states. So definitely check that out and know that, yes, we can say dyslexia. <laughs> yeah, I, we are so grateful for Sabrina. She was excellent. Definitely give that episode a listen yeah. if you haven't had one. Yeah, so we want to acknowledge you. How is your school viewing it? Are mm -hmm. they viewing it under the neurodivergent umbrella? Are they seeing both sides? Are they looking carefully and critically if not only the social model but the medical model that we need to not only and look carefully at our intervention but also how we are honoring and respecting that we there is a social emotional side as well yeah absolutely all right so some books that we recommend if you kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the strengths surrounding dyslexia. Um, the Dyslexic Advantage has an updated book that is out that they're always fabulous. They really highlight some of the strengths through their research that they've kind of come across over the years. So it's definitely worth checking out. Of course, Overcoming Dyslexia by Sally Shaywitz is one that we recommend always. <laughs> Both of those books have been updated. So you yes. definitely, we really want to say that, you know, these are not books that you try get the updated version of both of those. Right. 
And if you are kind of looking into some podcasts, there are, you know, understood.org has a podcast and they have one that's specific to neurodivergency. Um, And then there's also the neurodivergent podcast. So there's quite a lot that you can look into as you're kind of learning a little bit more about the neurodivergent umbrella and what that means for students with dyslexia. Absolutely. All right. So uh, that wraps up this episode. Uh, The next time we meet on the Together in Literacy podcast, we uh, we do have a guest planned. Very exciting. And it will take a look, I think, a little more closely at at another area of neurodivergence, but we're not going to get too deeply into that, right? You're just going to have to tune in and wait and listen then. Please, just as a reminder that we have together in literacy podcast merch. If you are interested in a t-shirt, we've got really lovely t-shirts and the material is super soft and comfortable. And so you can see that on our website. The website always has an accompanying blog post to go along with our episodes so that you can see and get sort of the main points of what we were discussing. Mm -hmm. And we include links in there and references back to the episodes. So super easy to find everything you need in a concise way on those blog posts. All right. We will see you next time, but thank you so much for joining us today. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website, www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.